Lob it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hashtag Jazz. My name is Jason Walker. I'm Trey Sanders. And we're coming to you recording on the NFL Championship Sunday, although we'll probably try to avoid talking about that at all, um, although it's made me quite happy so far. Yeah, I have nothing to say. <laughs> all right, then we'll move on. We'll go ahead and just talk <laughs> about the Jazz. <laughs> um, so... Last week it ended on the uh, Trey. You mentioned you want to talk about some jazz wins, and on Monday I messaged you, uh, messaged you, and just said I don't think we're going to get to talk about any wins this week. But turns out we do. The Jazz went two and two. Um, a couple of good wins, a really bad loss, and a a loss that we can kind of stomach, uh, I guess. Uh, that loss to the Knicks. I mean, it was you're never happy to lose, but. It was a decent enough performance that you can live with it. Yeah, well, and it was, you know, there was a different energy about him right from the get-go. I mean, Rudy comes back, and it was just, I mean, you could tell everyone was feeding off of that, including Rudy. They even tried that play to start the game, which I heard David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, say that they had practiced that that uh, exact play before tip-off, and they did it perfectly. But, of course, when they go to execute that alley-oop to Gobert right at the beginning of the game, he dropped it. But other than that, I mean, regardless, the Jazz came out with a lot of energy. We lost, but, yeah, it's. I still think they played well. And the defense was, man, it was night and day how much, how much of an impact he really makes on defense. Yeah, definitely. I, I just remember watching I... I got to watch a good chunk of the next game. I didn't get to watch all of everything, but I watched pretty much all of the game this Saturday, and I've already forgotten who we played. Oh, <laughs> crap. Who it, was the, it? it was the Clippers. Yeah, the Clippers. And just, just watching them and seeing them, they're scared to death to go inside against Rudy Gobert. And I was just like, I miss this, that everybody, they, they don't even want to enter the paint. Like, they're just scared to go in there. When Rudy right. Gobert is in there, I just I just love watching that. They they take one look at Rudy Gobert, and it's just like nope, 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 nope. I'm out. Taking a jump <laughs> shot. Let's try again. Let's reset this offense and try again. Yeah, and, and <laughs> Jazz force they force them to take a lot of jump shots. Um, you know, and I mean at the end of the game they weren't even going into the paint. It was Lou Williams going over around a screen, and he would take a three point shot. That was their offense in the last few minutes. And even yeah. on that last play, like in the fact that it became so predictable that that last play that were essentially the last play for the Clippers where they were in it, they knew they double teamed Lou Williams off a screen. Rudy Gobert just completely forgot about his man into blocking Lou Williams shot. And it was just, it was just awesome. So I just, I just love how, how much Rudy Gobert has impacted the defense. And I, I agree also the energy level. Because that yeah. Monday game, like, I was so ticked off about that Monday game. And it wasn't just the fact that we lost. Because that's happened, you know, 20-some-odd times this year. It was the fact that we that the Jazz just didn't look like they cared anymore. No energy, nothing. The offense, I, I tweeted out, I said, that watching this offense makes my eyes bleed. Because it was just so bad. And, and then Rudy comes back, and there's just all this energy, and I, I feel like his leadership has played a big role in the Jazz, you know, coming out and having a, a decent week, at least at the no, end. Oh, for sure, but it's also like it's it's a security blanket. I mean, we talked we've talked this past month about how bad the Jazz have been defensively because, you know, Derek Favors as good as he's been as the placeholder at the five. It's put a lot of pressure on the wings and the forwards to be able to not only defend the perimeter, but collapse on defense and try to make it harder for people to score down there. And that in turn in fact affected their three-point um, defensive ratings. I mean, we were allowing, still to this day, we're allowing some of the most attempts and makes in the NBA Um but having him back, it's it's like I said, it's that security blanket. They all were just like, okay, cool. We have our protection back. We can all start worrying about our spots again. 
Yeah, it is awesome because, yeah, like if you, if you let your man beat you, you know he's not going to the paint. Then so that definitely impacts how you decide to recover. And For sure. And, you know, no matter how it's the NBA, people are going to get into the, pen, the paint no matter what. That's just the way it goes. But it helps that knowing that if Rudy's down there, I have a chance to reposition and get back on this play. Yeah, and I think moving forward, uh, obviously, I mean, the Jazz have had a few good wins, and I think that, you know, even with this energy, they're still not going to be one of the the best teams, obviously. But I think that it's it's super good to have Rudy Gobert back, and I mentioned him being a leader, getting this team energized, and he's already producing on the court. I mean, through through two games, granted, it's just two games, but he's averaging 19 and a half points, 10 and a half rebounds, three blocks, and is shooting just under 70 percent from the field. And part of that just may be the fact that nobody was ready for Rudy Gobert to come back. You know, they didn't. They kind of forgot how good he was. But <laughs> how do you how do you forget someone of that that uh, stature, that standing? How do you forget that? I mean, when when the Clippers came to the first half of the Clippers game, uh, what's his name, Blake Griffin? He didn't even go into the paint. I think he went in there twice in the entire first half. Yeah, he didn't even try. He took seven three pointers on the game. Yeah, that's and I. It was even um, who was the color commentator? It was Craig Bullerjack, Matt Harpering. Um, even he was just like, "This is not the Blake Griffin I uh, that we have seen ever. I've never seen him take this many outside jump shots." Yeah, and Blake Griffin has become the sort of decentish threat from outside but yeah he's he's normally they're running that pick and roll uh and, and it you saw it in the playoffs when they would run it with him or deandre jordan it was killing the jazz constantly but yeah just yesterday no nothing in the paint and on the offensive end uh in these two games rudy gobert has taken 22 free throws combined um and it's just like it's getting to the point where they don't know how to deal with them so they just foul him and and he's made yeah. free throws at a decent enough clip. I think he made he made like seventy some percent maybe. See, and that's markedly better than most centers in the NBA, anyways. I mean, it, it's not the hack of Shaq or the hack of Dwight Howard, where you know that you know eighty percent to eighty five percent of the time they're missing that free throw. Like Rudy's worked on that for sure. Still less than desirable, but two games in, I mean, he was pretty darn good at shooting free throws last season. Yeah, it's that point where, you, yeah, you're definitely not afraid that he's going to miss it. It's, you know, he goes to the the line late in the game. It's like, yeah, he'll most likely make both. Maybe he'll miss one. He's not going to miss both. Yeah, he's so, getting at least one. Yeah, and that's that's definitely a, a lot that you want from your center. Uh, so Rudy Gobert has definitely become – dependable at least on offense and I think that's something that's really nice we talked about his defense um, but his offensive dependability and obviously the free throws are something because when you know DeAndre Jordan is on the floor for the Clippers late he's almost a liability on offense uh, even though he's got great defensive prowess Rudy Gobert has the defensive prowess and the ability to at least not suck on offense late in the game and can even be a, a crucial part of the offense late in the game. Yeah. Well, and Deandre is one dimensional, whereas Rudy, you know, he kind of, he, he's, he's full of surprises in a way. I mean, he's not a Chris Tapps Przingis where he moves an unreal, um, athleticism like he does, but he's still like, he tries to incorporate a hook shot. He tries to use pump fakes. I mean, he's not just a, pick roll catch the lob and dunk it down the down into the rim every time guy like deandre is yeah i think that is definitely an improvement that uh rudy has made is that especially like one thing i i've seen from him now is you know he'll be matched up against a smaller guy and he can kind of put his back to the basket um he can use like a, a pivot foot and i don't know what to call the move i can picture what he's doing like you're kind of pivoting back and forth and getting your man in the right position where he can go up. It was something that Ennis Cantor always did and still does. It's the backing down. Yeah, it's, it's not the backing down. It's like you're kind of underneath the basket and then you you pivot. You're pivoting on one foot and then you kind of open up. Then you, you. It's almost like a advanced pump fake kind of thing where you're trying to get your man in a certain spot. 
by pivoting back and forth and doing kind of a series of pump fakes and pivots. Mm, so you, okay, yeah. Yeah, and so you, you you put your man in the right place, then you can go up and get yourself an open shot. Um, and, and his canter do, used to do it so much because he just like you're kind of like doing a, a miniature spin move over and over. Yeah, it's like a plie. <laughs> That's a big word I don't know. <laughs> that school's coming in handy. Yeah, totally. Well, and you could just watch the Nutcracker and know what I'm talking about. I've n- I've never seen the Nutcracker, so you need culture. I, I've been told that uh, I had never seen The Wizard of Oz until like late. I think I saw it for the first time back in um, early November. I had never seen it before. I mean, what? I, you have been a a sheltered child. I just never saw it. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of the major blockbuster movies. I've seen Star Wars and stuff like that. I actually had a buddy of mine here. Uh, he got on me for how few movies I'd seen. And then he mentioned he'd never seen Star Wars or Indiana Jones. And I was like, you can't talk to me anymore about that. Yeah, your your argument is invalid at that point. Yeah. But even still, I am, I just uh, I think I need to send you some essential movie watching um, and just get around to it when you have the time. Because you not seeing The Wizard of Oz until now is a little – it's strange. Yeah, I saw I saw the Wizard of Oz, and then later that month, uh, uh, me and my family went to New York, and I also saw Wicked. So okay, so you got the you got the whole experience. Yeah, I just kind of kind of crammed it all in one. That's kind of how <laughs> I saw the the Dark Knight trilogy too. Um, kind of crammed it all at once. It I didn't wait nearly as long, but obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I've waited about eighty years to watch the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> It's funny because like most most everyone from that movie has been long dead, so they like I don't know. That's just so funny to me. I saw that when I was like eight or nine. Yeah, I was twenty three. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, back to yeah. Anywho, back to uh, Utah jazz culture instead of pop culture. Old culture? I don't know what you call it. classic culture. I don't know if there's a word it's for essential that. culture. Essential culture. That's probably the best word for it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Rudy Gobert is, does a lot, and I think he's a huge part of the culture of the Utah Jazz, just as a leader. And obviously, he's become kind of the embodiment of like that that working hard, the underdog. He's kind of embraced the role of being an underdog. You know, when Gordon left, he was like, "We're still gonna do this," and still fights back so i'm just i'm just so happy that he's back like it, it's yeah, hard to he's describe got, he's got a level of confidence that has just grown and grown and i think hayward leaving has put a chip on his shoulder and to see him not only i mean he came back from the first knee injury and it didn't seem too right but after he's had this last month off to recover from this one he came out fresh like especially when he had that euro step driving layup, uh, I think it was like second quarter or something in the Knicks game. It's just like wow, he doesn't look like he's laboring at all. Well, obviously a little tired because he hasn't played in a while, but yeah, I think still couple... to see that from him is just that's that's such a good sign. Yeah, the, there were a couple moments where I felt like he wasn't getting as much lift, but I I think that's probably more due to fatigue, and like you were saying, than. You know his his knee bothering him, and so I, yeah, I, I think he should be back unless somebody rolls up on his knee again, which I don't know, and, and it kind of frustrates frustrates me when people have called Rudy Gobert injury prone, because it's just like, it's idiotic. Yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah, and, and until he like starts really having problems, then he's not injury prone. He's just unlucky this year, but. Another player who has been talked about as being injury prone that I really want to talk about is uh, Dante Exum. And earlier this last week, again, it was like a day after we released our podcast, um, so we couldn't talk about it. We have the worst timing for recording these. But Dante Exum, there were some reports he's been cleared for non-contact drills, um, so he's probably been doing those all week. And perhaps even more exciting was that there were reports uh, I saw from a couple different people, at least one in particular, uh, that Dante Exum would probably return 
after the All-Star break. And one guy said that, he, I think it was Andy Larson, said that he would be very surprised if we didn't see Dante Axum this year. And that was very encouraging to me because I'd kind of written him off for the rest of the year and just been like, I don't expect to see him and I'll just have to wait until probably uh, October when the season starts again because he's probably not going to participate in the uh, the summer league again. And maybe he'll get some preseason action, but I figured we wouldn't see him again until October. But now we could see him as early as February, which is, is just so encouraging to me. It's very encouraging, man. I mean, you're not the only one that wrote him off. I mean, the Jazz fans out there, I mean, he was listed as out for the season. That's the type of injury he had, is you list that injury as out for the season because there's really no realistic timetable for it. But that's the benefits of being, um, how old is he, 21? He just barely turned 21 this year? Yeah, or he's 21. late last year? I mean, that's the benefits of being young, man. You, you heal up quickly. Um, but to heal up this quickly from that kind of injury that that is awesome and i can and if he does come back i'm so stoked because i was ready to see um what dante xm was really capable of this year because he was like we talked about in past episodes is he showed brilliance in the playoffs and then in the summer league playing alongside um donovan we saw some we saw some stuff there that those two had already built a great um camaraderie with each other and great chemistry so to get him back after the all-star break i think that would just be the icing on the cake yeah that would, that would basically make pretty much everything of this season worth it is would be to see uh the backcourt of exum and mitchell play a lot of minutes and i'm actually really interested to see uh and you know i could just be getting ahead of myself but that's that's what i do but I want to see how uh, Quinn uses Exum and Mitchell because I don't think Quinn wasn't really involved in any of the summer league coaching, I don't think, or anything like that. They usually uh, give that to assistant coaches. And it was those assistant coaches who were using, they used Exum as the primary ball handler, and Mitchell tended to play off ball. Um, at least and that's why I've looked based on uh, or seen based off of all the, the highlights and things like that and whatever I was actually able to watch, which is probably like 15 minutes overall. Yeah. But when you look at all of Dante Exum's highlights, they're all from him playing point guard. Uh, he's always got the ball. He's making a play with the ball in his hands. He's not really coming off screens and doing a catch and shoot. But what I've heard is that uh, – the coaching staff and specifically Quinn don't really view Dante Exum as a as a point guard and they view him more as the two or maybe the three in spot situations which to me is is very interesting just to see if Dante can adjust to that because his whole career he's been a primary ball handler uh, in pre-draft workouts he compared himself or uh, described as the kind of player who would like to be as uh, Derek Rose which is probably not a very good thing right now. <laughs> all, all things yeah, considered. Don't don't be a Derrick Rose. Be a be a Damian Lillard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he viewed himself as this as this point guard who would make plays with the ball in his hands and it's just going to be very interesting because we're seeing a side of Donovan Mitchell where he can be a point guard. I I watched that game on Saturday, and it was amazing. He was flashing very good potential as a passer, and obviously we know him as a scorer. And it'll just be interesting to see if Dante can either adjust to an off-guard role or if they plan on having some weird hybrid with Exum and Mitchell playing kind of alternating point guard and He's shooting guard. trading off. Yeah, which I think would actually play well into the Jazz's system somewhat because they've had – that kind of thing going on where, like, last year they had George Hill. He he was kind of the primary ball handler, just kind of by default because he was the point guard. And I believe he led the team in assists. But Gordon Hayward averaged, like, three and a half assists. Joe Ingles uh, was also spending a lot of time as the passer and the initiator of the offense. So I think that would oh, actually sure. fit well into the system to have this kind of weird dual point guard system. 
with oh, it totally would. It totally would. It's all systematic. That is, the offense is designed for everyone to have equal share of the ball. The ball is supposed to constantly move, and you go for the best shot every time. Doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. So, so basically, we're looking, we're hoping to see, um, a lineup. I don't know if it'd be a starting lineup, but to see minutes given to a lineup that uh, includes Dante Exum, Donovan Mitchell. Oh, probably Joe Ingles, maybe Nikola Mirotic, and Rudy Gobert. Like, would you not be entertained by that lineup? Like, it's it'll it's probably a good fill lineup. games tonight. Yeah, it is a good lineup. It's a good lineup. I'd even love to see Royce O'Neal crack the the uh, starting lineup. Man, he just, I was you know I was watching the, these past few games with him. He reminds me of like a bigger. Um just a bigger Wesley Matthews, which ironically he's wearing the same number that Wes did here in Utah, but he did like, he just has that same kind of energy. He has that same defensive and offensive mind. Like he's really good. Yeah. I, I've been very much pleasantly surprised by his play and he's definitely earned his minutes and he's earning minutes over Alec Burks. Now he's, he's worked his way that high into the lineup that he's, displace Burks right well Burks is like reverted back to his usual just kind of out of not out of control but overly aggressive style if 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 that makes any sense he just he wasn't like the beginning of the year when he was playing he was patient he was letting his shots come to him he was letting everything the game come to him and now all of a sudden he's reverted back to I'm just going I'm just going to the basket every time I don't care who's in front of me, you know, and that, that kind of bums me out. Whereas Royce O'Neal, he's letting the game come to him and he's playing smart basketball. Yeah. He threw away that one, um, that one pass and just went and ripped it right back out of his hands and dunked the ball. <laughs> like, Yeah. I, I was about ready to scream at my scream at my screen. That happened on multiple occasions, but I was just like, why? And then I was like, yes. Yeah, that, they get they, that's like I think the Achilles heel of the Jazz right now is they they get to this point where like the first half of the Clippers game was a perfect example of this is they were on point. They were destroying the Clippers in every sense of the word. And then this third quarter happens and they didn't score for two and a half minutes because they were sloppy they were just they got like they were sitting on their laurels and got comfortable just like ah we we got this we got good flow and they just kept giving the ball over yeah and i think that's going to come down a little bit to coaching uh, learning from the coaching then obviously the players do need to learn a lot of their key role players are young i mean donovan mitchell the leading scorer is young and, and all these different things yeah, and to go back to what you were saying about him becoming a playmaker, he definitely is – he has some really good passing ability, like really good. Yeah, th- there was one play where it was like, it was like, yes, that is something that I love to see because one of the things I love to see is specifically out of playmakers and especially point guards is the manipulation of defense, forcing the defense into a situation where then you can make a play. And there was this fast break. It was kind of a, a two-on-two where – Mitchell eventually passed to Derek Favors, and he got the dunk. This I think it was Derek Favors. And Mitchell got it, and he kind of drifted out to the left side on the three-point line, and he looked like he acted like he was going to potentially take a three, which forced the defender who was in the paint to come up and guard him, and then Mitchell made the pass, passed that defender to Derek Favors, got the easy dunk on the fast break. And that was just like he didn't just hurriedly try and make a play. He was patient. And he manipulated the defense into a situation that he found advantageous. And then he made the play. They got the points. And those are the things I just love to see out of playmakers. Oh, absolutely. That's that throwback. That's that throwback offensive stuff right there. Yeah, and it was one of the things why I was excited about uh, Ricky Rubio is because I had seen a lot of that from him. Obviously, it's not the same. He doesn't manipulate anybody from his shooting, but he was able to do those kind of things. And but we're seeing that out of Donovan Mitchell, and that's usually a veteran thing. He's doing this as a 21-year-old. He's manipulating defenses to do what he wants them to do, at least in some occasions. He's not doing it all the time. Um, but he's able to do that and is then able to make the plays, which is just 
just just so encouraging. I don't know. I love that it's, kid so it, much. So, well, it's the the it's just unreal to think that between um, the beginning of his college career to now, he's only played two and a half seasons worth of basketball, and his growth is just insane. Every game we see something special from him. Every game he is doing something new that we haven't seen him do before. And these last two games specifically, he's doing a lot. He's focusing a lot more on his distribution, which I've noticed. He's not, he's still taking the shots that we're used to. He's getting inside to the, I mean, there was, I think both in the Knicks game and the Clippers game last night, he had these two plays where he was uh, faking that he was driving to the basket, collects the ball does a spin move and is fading away and just makes it look effortless. I mean, this guy, this guy is growing up so fast that it is just like, it's, it's scary for everyone else, but just so incredible to be a jazz fan knowing that this guy is the few, this guy and Rudy Gobert are the future of this franchise and markedly so. Yeah. And and that, ability where he's coming with all these new moves and these different things that like I, oh, I haven't seen him do that before it's encouraging because you see some guys who come into the league and they score I think of Tyreek Evans where he came into the league he averaged around 20 uh, low 20s in points his rookie year he fell off and has become a role player and there's been other rookies who have done well scoring and haven't done super well overall but I think a lot of that has to do with they were manipulating one ability of theirs like Tyreek Evans was a a six foot six uh, combo guard, and so he was just able to to bully people around a lot, and he didn't develop as much as he could have. Donovan Mitchell looks like a guy who can get who can develop multiple go to moves, where he can beat guys and continue to grow and not fall off that cliff of well I didn't work hard enough to develop into a good player. And so that's one of the things you know because I try and push away those concerns that well what if Dante or if uh, Donovan is just like this one year wonder and that's the thing I always turn to is that he's showing so many different ways to score that you know that he's at least going to be fa- fairly successful if not an all-star if not a superstar oh absolutely and I mean you hear from you hear from um, the coaching staff all the time that he just he takes the information that he that we tell him, he consumes it, and then we have to find other things for him to work on because he consumes it and does uh, the things that he's learned so well. Like um, I was listening to Twelve Eighty The Zone out here, and they were talking about just that. Is Quinn Snyder's had to find different things to harp on him over because he's doing everything else so well. Now that they they're basically going down this list of things that he needs to improve on and they're running out of things for him to improve upon and like you said this guy the other people like Tyreek Evans they're, they're just like eh, they, they come off of those those players that just like eh, I don't need to get any better I'm already good so to have Donovan Mitchell who is just consuming everything getting better day in and day out it's also interesting to say that I don't think he really has a go-to move quite yet he doesn't have like that spot, that sweet spot on the floor yet, because he just does everything. He goes everywhere and shoots from everywhere. Yeah, definitely. And perhaps that could be his 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 go-to thing is his unpredictability. Although one move I, I see him consistently doing is he splits double teams off of a screen. Or I don't know if that's a splitting a double team, but he'll get a screen and they'll try and hedge him off, and he'll split the 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 screen double team or what do you want to call it and then he goes to the basket it's a very sneaky move that he it's, does and, and it gives him almost a free lane to the basket yeah absolutely and only so many people can do it I mean and he's picked that up I I don't I can't I I know he did it for the first time a couple of weeks ago I can't remember what game specifically but yeah he's done that every time and he has that huge step that he just he knows he's got it free and he just just puts it in like it's nothing <laughs> yeah and it's 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 very encouraging how well he's shooting because going into the season i was thinking all right you know and this is after summer league so it was when some of the hype had already begun to start i was thinking all right he's probably going to average in the 
<clears throat> in the 14 to 15 point range. Well, I, th- I think it was more like 13 to 14, 15 if you had a good year. And he would shoot like in the low 40s in percentage, maybe the mid 30s if he's lucky from three. But he's shooting, I think, in his last 10 or so games, he's shooting. See, I looked up. It was somewhere somewhere around 60% from two-point range. And his his three-point percentage has actually gone down, which is a little concerning. But he is a rookie. But he's shooting around 60% inside the arc, which has that's included. A, that's yeah. a front court player. That's not a backcourt player. <laughs> yeah, that that's what Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert are shooting. Uh, well, Rudy Gobert is doing better but yeah it's it's insane for a guard to be shooting that well inside that's that's 2k numbers (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely that's what my that's what my guy shoots in 2k but anyway um we do want to move on to a, a different wing player and that is rodney hood and he's been in the news for much different reasons than uh donovan mitchell and that is that he phones is phones out of people's hands. Say what? Oh, that <laughs> the phone slapping out of the hand. He got. Dude, I, I love that video. Like, hey, Rodney Hood went up a a few spots in my book after that one. I was like, yep, <laughs> go Rodney, go. Yeah, I I saw that. I just I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, that's amazing. But uh, he is. Apparently, I don't know if the Jazz liked it or whatever, because they're uh, reportedly actively shopping him. Although probably not for that, they probably thought it was as funny as we did. Yeah. And well, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say they they do the Joe Ingles show on Thursday mornings on twelve eighty the Zone, and they had him on right after that, and they were like, "What do you think about that?" He's like, "Well, I just I just thought he was giving a fan a high five. I didn't know he t- knocked a phone out of someone's <laughs> hand." <laughs> Give him a high five as you go off the court. Give your phone a high five. Yeah. I want I want to see the video of that, like the video from that phone. I'm assuming that's what he was doing. It was a video. I, I was hoping that it would pop up somewhere. You just see a hand come out, just smack it and fall to the ground. Right. Oh, you know what kills me is the guy that was the guy that got the phone slapped out of his hand. He like spent the majority of the fourth quarter trying to get the police to take action against him for that. That's like, really, dude? It's a phone. I'm pretty sure you have insurance on that thing. And deal with it. Oh, my God. You'd probably drop your phone more often than it gets slapped out of your hands, bro. <laughs> probably. And the guy's probably really rich, too, because he gets to sit courtside. Yeah, you got courtside seats right next to the tunnel, and you're trying to get police action against an NBA player who smacked the phone out of your hand because he was frustrated. Cry me a river. Kind of like there's a video of a guy, I think this happened a couple of times, where they get hit lightly in the head with a basketball, and they get taken off in a stretcher. Are you serious? This is real? Yeah, th- there's a video of it, and, I, and I'm and i hesitant to make too much fun, because I, I worry that like he has some sort of medical condition uh, that, that made him a little fair. more vulnerable. But I've seen one where like, this one, I think it was Kevin Garnett, like bounced a ball, and it ended up hitting the guy in the head like, about the same speed as if I rolled it to somebody. Just this incredibly slow, lazy bounce pass. And the guy got taken off in like that little seat stretcher kind of thing. It, it, he had instant vertigo, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, he would have had to have some sort of medical condition or he is the worst flopper ever. Yeah. Or just drama reminds, queen or whatever. Reminds me of like soccer players when they get hit. Like, oh man, they just go down and they make it seem like it's the worst possible injury known to man. Oh, I hate that. Anyways, moving on. Yeah, so Rodney Hood doesn't flop, thankfully. You can respect him for that. But he's being actively shopped. And this is more than we heard from, from about Derek Favors. It's normally just been like we've kind of expected Derek Favors to get traded. We've had... Rodney Hood is being actively shopped around the NBA. And I feel that a Rodney Hood trade is a lot more imminent than a Derek Favors trade, unless they're, they somehow end up in a package deal or as a part of a three-team mm-hmm. trade. Because Rodney Hood holds a lot more value than Derek Favors. And we mentioned this when we first talked about Derek Favors trades, is that 
is that Favors is in a this awkward position of he's too good to just trade as an expiring contract, but you know he has the expiring contract, so it, it's this weird balance. And there's also not a lot of teams that are looking to buy a center, but there's plenty of teams who will be looking to buy a like a sixth man score type of guy. At least that's who he would be on a lot of the playoff teams that might be looking to buy. Like maybe the Cavaliers if they don't get Lou Williams. Maybe think the Pelicans, Clippers, Bucks, maybe 76ers or Nuggets. I just honestly, when I look at all the playoff teams, it's kind of like, well, maybe they want him or maybe they want him. They could probably use him. So And use him in the future. Yeah. I mean, an expiring contract, they should be able to, they, they should be basically be able to negotiate any price they want if they grab him. But I will say that I really think that this active shopping, I'm doing air quotes, um, of Rodney Hood is just to see if there is any interest to build upon the interest of Derek Favors. Like you said, maybe it's a package deal thing, but I really don't think that the Jazz are going to give up Rodney Hood for really anything. Because believe it or not, Rodney Hood has actually had a really decent season. He does miss a lot of shots. He takes some ridiculous shots. But these, over the course of the last five or six games, he play, he's played really well. He's focusing more on getting his rhythm going inside and getting that outside shot. But I really think that if the Jazz move anybody, it's going to be Derek Favors. Because here we are again. Rudy's back in the lineup. Guess what? Favors is shooting threes again. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw him shoot a corner three against the Clippers, and I was just like, why? Why, yeah, why, just, why, 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 why? It's by design at this point. I mean, I've heard I've heard Quinn Snyder on multiple outlets say that, you know, we're getting him to shoot more threes with Rudy back in the lineup. I get that, bro, but just it's not, it's not going to happen. If you're going to have favors shoot that three, you best have two to three people boxing out inside to get that rebound because it's going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming off that rim one way or another, and yeah, it, he'll make those threes about as often as I make threes in pickup games. Which, spoiler alert, I think I've made one three in a game in the past six months. So, uh, you... <laughs> I don't shoot a lot anyway. I spend most of my time two feet away from the basket. Fair. That's where all my shots come from. But yeah, I I do think that the Derek Favors should be traded. It, it will be interesting because. You know, I hadn't thought that maybe they were just looking to see if there was interest. Um, I kind of took it at face value that they were looking to trade him. And there might be some fear of Rodney Hood getting this enormous um, offer sheet from somebody, from some stupid GM who wants to offer Rodney Hood a, I don't know, 16 or $17 million a year. Over, I don't know exactly how contracts would work in, in this situation because he's a restricted free agent. And in that situation, the Jazz would get nothing for it because if I were the Jazz, I wouldn't offer or I wouldn't match a contract of like the 17 or $18 million a year. And then you'd lose them for nothing. And so it's possible the Jazz are just trying to get something back. But that's also assuming that they don't feel Rodney is part of the future. And kind of like building off what you were saying is that he's having a good year. So it's very... Uh, foreseeable that he could be part of the future because he's a young player he's got some flaws but he can build you know he can get better so it's it's possible he can be a role player on the future jazz team but it's it just depends on how the front office and coaching staff view his role and if there's any fear over whether or not they can retain him instead of just losing him for nothing no, it, absolutely. I mean, if you lose him, you got to get something in return. You got to get something that comes close to the amount of points he can put up. Whether or not it's inconsistent is irrelevant because you still need a player of his stature. Dude is six seven, six eight, six eight, and he's and he plays the two or the three, mostly the two. Um, he provides you a different. Um, physical asset than a lot of players of of his positions do he's long he's athletic and he can shoot the three those are all good combinations when he's in the pit when he's going inside and does a turnaround uh hook shot or 
turnaround fadeaway jumper, you can't guard it. He just he's too high in the air for you to really get a hand up. That is someone that is an essential piece to your team. So, like I said, I think that this is just seeing what he could be gauged at uh, monetarily and see what he's going to go for. Because the Jazz, yeah, they didn't extend his contract, but that was also because there was that stipulation, we want to see what you can do in this season. This is a make or break for you. And he's doing okay. He's making a case for wanting to stay here. But even if we say we get Miritich, hypothetically, we get him in the next week or two, he comes in and the floor opens for everybody. I really feel like that is something that would be an immediate benefit with a healthy Rodney Hood, a healthy Donovan Mitchell, a Ricky Rubio. You know, the whole starting lineup would benefit from this, including Rodney Hood. Because then he's no longer feeling that pressure of having to be the go-to man, especially because the offense is built around a team uh, philosophy. So going forward, we could feasibly get someone, if we trade away that first-round pick and Eric Favors to get Miritich, we won't get someone so well in the draft, but we could also play well in the uh, in the offseason prior to the draft, whether it's other trades, because there's that signing period. A lot of things can happen. I don't know what would, but I really think that Rodney Hood is a good, stable piece to keep. Do you think he's a, a stable piece for as a starter? Do you think he can be a future starter at the three, or do you think he's better as a bench player? I think he's better coming off the bench because he knows that when he comes off of the bench, he is that guy. Now you could still co- you could still bring him in on starting lineups or you know Quinn um, hasn't been playing with the lineups as he used to last year, which I would love to see him go back to. I, I love it when he plays with different lineups, but he do- he does play his he's consistently better coming off of the bench, which is weird. But he he could he's also a fringe starter. I mean he was a starter when Hayward was here and he did he did okay. Yeah, I, I think he he's he does okay this year. I think a lot of it could just depend on scheme because I mean with Hayward, uh, he was playing with George Hill and Gordon Hayward, and those were the two top guys. And he was able to kind of benefit from, well, everyone's leaving me open for the most part. And he had a pretty decent year last year, inconsistent, yes, but he shot pretty well. And I think, I think this year, he's suffered a little bit in that inconsistency because he's dependent on his jump shot. And in a lot of games, it just doesn't fall for him, and there's not much you can do at that point. But I, I do agree that I think he's best coming off the bench. And it's – see, the thing is, with if you were to trade Rodney Hood this year, it basically signals we're going for the draft. We're not playing for the playoffs this year because Rodney Hood is a second-leading scorer, um, despite coming off the bench for a good chunk of the year. And – it it is interesting because I'd I'd wonder what we get back from Rodney Hood. It'd have to be a first round pick, like there's there's nothing that would be nearly as valuable that would make sense. Because if like you just do a a swap for like there's been rumors around Evan Fournier, I think that's how you say his name from the Magic. Fournier. Fournier. Okay. Pardon my lack of knowledge of he's French. A, he's a he's another Frenchman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing that. But yeah. Um, that wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense because you're basically swapping two players who are very similar, I mean, at least in output. Um, I haven't watched uh, Fournier. I haven't watched yeah. him play, so I don't know what type of player he is, but their outputs are fairly similar, so that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It's basically trading Rodney Hood for draft capital and maybe some some wing scrubs so we can actually have players to put on the court um, at the two and the three. So, I, I'm not sure what would happen with the Rodney Hood trade, and I just really love to <laughs> to pick the brains of of Dennis Lindsay and all that to see what they're looking for to get from Rodney and what um, how they view Rodney in this system, because there, there's just so many different possibilities that we could see uh, whether or not he stays or whether he goes, and there is, yeah, and. You know, there are some players 
Victor Oladipo, for instance, they are they they're really good. They're talented, but it it all depends on the system they end up in. And now that he's in Indiana, Oladipo will be there for a very long time. Is Rodney Hood going to flourish in a jazz system, or is he going to flourish in you know, like you said, for Fournier? Is he going to flourish down in Orlando, where he would be expected to shoot the ball exclusively? I think Ronnie would do a lot better in a, a more shooting environment because I think the, the thing was with the Jazz is that you need to pass the ball. And Ronnie Hood doesn't pass the ball very well. And another player who doesn't pass the ball very well that's on the Jazz is Joe Johnson. And so those two guys kind of stick out like a sore thumb in the Jazz offense. Because yeah. whenever they get the ball, the ball doesn't leave their hands. And I've become very frustrated with Joe Johnson over that. Although on Saturday he he kind of made me eat those thoughts or eat those words because he would mm-hmm. then sink the jump shot. But I think for Rodney, he he'd probably be better off in another system. Or if he learns, this, this would be better, is if he learns to play better in the system where he learns to become a better passer as a wing player and obviously doesn't need to become like a, a Joe Ingles or any sort of, you know, as good as a point guard in terms of passing. He just needs to be able to pass the ball, move the ball around and do you pull his weight as far as being a passer, especially for a guy who's going to be playing most of his um, minutes as the two guard, who's basically just a bigger and more scoring centric point guard. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because he's four years in, and it's been his progress has been incremental at best. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I still like, I still like his game. I still think he has a lot of growth to do. But I, and I, I don't. I'm also. I don't know if him leaving is going to be a good thing for the jazz moving forward because like i said when he's on he he is irreplaceable at that point you know like he could put up 25 30 points on any given night depending on you know where his rhythm is resting but i gotta say like after the jazz fans and I, I don't know if they were booing him specifically. I think it was more that the Jazz fans were just booing the Jazz's effort as a whole. But that's a whole other thing. But after that um, and his comments about it, he's been pretty solid since then. He's been focusing more on the team as a whole rather than himself. He's still, ta- he's still getting his shots. He's still taking those shots. But I, he's done a lot better of staying within the system these last few games. Yeah, and as long as he does that, then I'm totally fine, and I feel like he would fit well. Um, and it, it's just going to depend on what, you know, if if the Jazz feel like they can retain him for a good price, um, you know, a 17 points per game kind of guy. Is he worth what teams are going to offer for him? And so really it can be kind of a guessing game. And we may end up seeing Dennis Lindsay have to take a guess. Well, I don't think general managers are going to offer him a big contract, or maybe he thinks they will, and as a result, tries to to milk some assets out of him before he lets him go. So, I think it'll be it'll be very interesting to see if he gets traded. There'll be plenty of market for him if they do look to trade him. Cause there's gonna be there's gonna be teams that want a wing score to to beef up their playoff run and. And that kind of thing, and I mean the Jazz could very well keep him because he is a an important factor on this team, and trading him would essentially signal to the entire world, hey, by the way, we're tanking, we're going for a top eight draft pick. So yeah, um, but uh, I mean, figuratively that says we're tanking, but uh, as a whole, I don't think the Jazz will ever intentionally do that. I, Quinn Snyder is too good of a coach he has two amazing players that are not going to sit back and say okay well we're good we're just gonna lose because that's what we're here to do those two are not going to allow it i'm talking about mitchell and gobert there's no way 
they are going to play to lose. Yeah, they'll never play to lose, but it's kind of the manufactured tank, kind of like the one we had back in, I want to say, 2013, when they got rid of everybody and then just... Oh, yeah, when we when we sent everybody east to Atlanta and Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that that's the kind of... <laughs> That's the kind of thing I'm talking about where it's it's the manufactured kind. It's not the 76ers uh, just blatantly sucking or back when the Golden State Warriors deliberately tanked in the second half of the season and stole the draft pick from the Jazz, which I am still bitter about. <laughs> and, you know, but that's about all we've got. We're, we're getting pretty long here. We've gone about 50 minutes so far. So... Uh-oh. We'll go ahead and uh, end it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. I was beginning to worry for a bit that we weren't going to have topics, but there's three or four things that I was thinking of talking about this week that I cut out because we weren't going to have time. Um, yeah. And Maybe we'll get to them in the future. Maybe more things will happen. There could be trades that coming. There could be more great things to talk about. But it anyway. always writes itself. Also, I want to remind everyone that you are listening, not you are watching. Did I say watching? <laughs> you did, yeah. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. Well, you could be watching the screen. Watching the happenings of the NBA and or jazz. Yeah. Go uh, jazz. Uh, I'm just going to not recover from that one. I'll leave it at that. I make enough mistakes as it is. I'm human. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> so I'm like much the jazz. pressure. I'm, I'm like the jazz. I'm imperfect, but I have potential. Yeah, I, <laughs> I see it. I mean, I hear it. <laughs> see, you make the same mistakes. All right. Well, once again, this is Jason Walker, the imperfect man. And I'm Trey Sanders, Mr. Correct Jason Walker guy. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.